everybody, it's me, Peaches Christ, and I am back for a very, very special and spooky episode of the Midnight Mass podcast because this is our first ever Halloween podcast. That's because, well, we're brand new. We're still in our first year, and this is the first time we've hit any holiday together. But how fitting that the first holiday we hit on the Midnight Mass podcast is Halloween, our favorite holiday, of course. And by our, I mean my co-host and I, who I'm going to introduce right now. Now, for this introduction, I was thinking about it, and I can honestly say that if you put the components of this person into a witch's cauldron and stirred them up, they would be equal parts cat, that's black, Witch, that's green. Werewolf, that's hairy. And vampire, that's toothy. All right, without further ado, it's the fantastic monster, Michael Verratti. <laughs> what a fittingly monstrous introduction. Hi, Peaches. <laughs> Hi. I mean, if you were to say that of all the classic Halloween costumes and characters, your persona as Michael uh, is best aligned with one of our classic monsters, which monster would you be? Probably Dracula, because that's always been my favorite. You know, the thing about Dracula, as with myself, and I'm saying this not as a plus, is he gets hung up on ceremony. Like, I, as you know, when I prepare for the interviews, I get a little too in-depth sometimes. That's like, true. a werewolf just goes out and werewolfs it up. Dracula's like, no, I got to have the pressed cape. I got to do this. There's like a whole thing with like, you know, being Dracula. Fastidious. Yes. I'm a Christopher Lee boy. Uh, He's my favorite version of Dracula. But honestly, as a long-term monster fan, to be compared to any of them really is a compliment, I think. Well, I mean, I I was going to say Dracula as well, or a vampire. But for different reasons, I think it's obvious. And maybe you don't want to state the obvious, but you just love to suck. (laughs) <laughs> well <laughs> okay that was low-hanging fruit but as a as a as a you know a comedy presence on this show i could not let it go yeah um, well i i don't think the audience was expecting much more so that's <laughs> <laughs> they, they would actually be mad if i didn't say it you know it's true it's um, true yeah so it, it was it was necessary that was a necessary comment um it's not going to surprise anyone that for me, it would be a witch. <laughs> um, you know, I was always into witches. I mean, my, my first real obsession with anything spooky was the Wicked Witch and the Wizard of Oz. You know, I just love witches. So uh, as far as a little classic Halloween costume, I think a witch would be my favorite. Well, and I think it ties in really neatly with the Peaches Christ persona as well, because as, as you know, Peaches was born out of sort of a rebellion against organized religion. And so when you think of the historical trajectory of witches being sort of vilified by the church, you have that in common. Uh, I'm, there are plenty of people in the Facebook comments who want to burn you alive. So I feel <laughs> like, yes, you have selected the appropriate monster. Yeah. I don't know if you caught this, but a, a woman the other day politely asked me to change my name and then pointed out that it was sacrilegious. I guess I hadn't really ever considered that before. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, I saw that. Her name was Carol, and thank you, Carol, for pointing out (laughs) something that no one else has noticed for nearly 30 years. (laughs) Yeah, Carol really brought that to my attention, but I I, I will say that I enjoyed responding to her. But, of course, I I laid it out for her. I was honest. I said, Carol, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of my name. 
I said, in fact, I consider it to be ball sack religious, which, <laughs> which makes no sense other than I just wanted to say ball sack religious to her. Also, she right. spelled sack religious in a very interesting way that would lead one to think of ball sacks. So, uh, you know, that was, that was the engagement. But I actually really love that um, my name, like, much like a witch, would have done uh, and can continues to antagonize and bother religious zealots. Well, it's funny because, you know, I've known you for so long and uh, I've been part of your world so long that I don't really think about it anymore. And I'm just so used to the idea of people knowing who Peaches Christ is that it does always hit me when someone reacts that way that, oh, yeah, there's still stupid people out there. And well, and also like that kind of ties into our special episode, which this is a really interesting episode because we're actually kind of dedicating this episode to a holiday, right? This is a holiday episode, not as connected to a particular movie, but Halloween in and of itself is offensive to some Christians, which I love. So of course that's my favorite holiday. And then, you know, our special guest of honor today is literally the queen of Halloween. You know, if holidays have symbolic heroes, uh, obviously Christmas has Santa Claus. Some may say patron saints. Patron saints, right, exactly. It's funny because, sorry Jesus, uh, but, but Christmas has really kind of been now owned by Santa Claus. It's definitely like what, uh, St. Patrick's Day is a leprechaun, the Easter bunny is for Easter, but for Halloween, we have the one and only Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, who, yes. you know, is celebrating 40 years. So in relationship to those other holiday icons, she's relatively young. I mean, you know, those other icons have been around for, you know, centuries. Um, Elvira, you know, she's she's only 40 years young at this point, but she has become the dominant icon, the, the the queen of this holiday. And we're talking later in this episode with her creator and alternate persona, Cassandra Peterson. Yes, which I can't wait. And I love, you know, this idea of Elvira being the patron saint of Halloween. And though she may be young in comparison to Santa or the Easter Bunny, uh, her cult is, in my opinion, just as strong because living in a queer world, with people who celebrate horror, she has really cultivated a following that to me speaks to exactly what Midnight Mass is all about. So many people grew and were uh, changed by the fact that Elvira was in the landscape, yourself included. So I think that, uh, yeah, we could not get a better guest for this episode because she isn't just the queen of Halloween to me. She is Halloween. She really is. And we're, we're going to let you know right now that this episode is a, a, a little bit different, um, much like uh, the Thomas Decker idol worship episode. We have one singular guest. And because we asked for Cassandra's time uh, on the week of Halloween, perhaps the busiest week of the year, um, and she made time for us to, to come and be our special guest, we, we had to do a quicker, short shorter interview than we're used to. She did agree to give us, well, her publicist and her team agreed to give us 30 minutes of her time, which we were so grateful for. But this means that you, dear listener, get to um, enjoy the random ramblings of myself and Michael a little longer than normal, believe it or not. What do you mean random? 
I feel like these are all bon mots of great conversation. And, you know, I will say it being the week of Halloween and Halloween being a time that you and I both like to celebrate. I want to point out that you and I actually were together this past weekend leading into Halloween. Uh, I was lucky enough to travel up to see Peach's amazing Terror Vault Immortal Reckoning show. I got uh, smeared with blood by somebody within the haunt, which, of course, is how I spend most of my days. So that wasn't the unusual part. But it was truly an achievement. And I'm not just saying this because Peaches is one of my dearest friends. If you are going to go to one haunted attraction in the United States, this is the one to go to. It is theater. It is drag. It is horror. Peaches, uh, I loved it. And I'm turning this moment into a commercial for you because it was everything. I had a blast. I could not imagine kicking off the Halloween week any other way. Well, I thank you so much. And I want to seriously thank you. And then our, our friend Darren Stein was up this weekend. And it really means the world to me. Um, when friends come out to support your stuff. And I do enough shit that I actually don't have those expectations because I, I do um, so much. But I have to say, coming back from the pandemic and this show in particular being such a big undertaking, like it's such a such a big, ambitious project. The fact that you and um, Darren individually came up to San Francisco from LA, it's really, really special and it means so much to me. So thank you for coming. Oh, it was my pleasure. I would have stayed if I could have because, well, who knows? Who knows what shenanigans might happen if Peaches Christ and I are in the same city for more than a longer period of time, you know? <laughs> That's true. That's true. And I have to say, more than more than any other of these types of shows that I've done, this is the show where we have had people. I met a guy the other day who has come to see this show four times. Wow. Four times since it opened. And he keeps bringing new friends, and he just loves it. And so it's like, oh, my God, the Immortal Reckoning is, like, developing its own weird cult of people. And part of it, as you know, is just that you're in this show. You move through the show. It takes about an hour to get from start to finish. And that's not including this whole other experience we have, which is an 80s goth new wave bar called Fang Bang, um, where you, you, you spend time before and after you go through the Immortal Reckoning. But because we were able to really build this show out so far in advance and I was able to write it and then rewrite it and then cast it and work with the actors because we had more time what people are finding is they didn't get to absorb it entirely you know with one visit which is really lovely and people who are coming repeatedly are like oh I noticed this new thing or I saw this and I hadn't seen that before or you know and, and also I think because because it is storytelling and there is a storyline and there are some reveals, right? It's like when you go back to watch a movie uh, to see like, oh, was that foreshadowed or did was it set up at all? And then they come back and they go, oh, yeah, that was all there, you know. Yeah, and you have always had a long love of haunted attractions. You know, you've spoken in other interviews that as a kid you wanted and participated in haunted attractions in Maryland. Fast forward to seeing this, like, come to fruition. This is year three, right, of it actually being... In, yep. in operation. We started in 2018, and then our second year was 2019, and then obviously we took 2020 off, so it is our, our third production. Well, and seeing every year it builds upon itself, uh, it must be so gratifying to you is that knowing that you were that little kid who always dreamed of this, and now you've done it. I feel like I'm one of those people who was lucky enough to have parents, for better or worse, who were like, oh, you know, just you know, as, as long as you're happy... <laughs> right. You know, that's that's what we that's what we want for you, you know. And they would say things that I think parents are supposed to say like 
we don't care if you're a lawyer or a janitor as long as you're happy or whatever, you know, which is great because I did have friends who were pretty much bullied into, you know, going into certain colleges or certain professions or whatever. That was never my story. The, the thing with my parents, though, is is with with their other kids, you know, they, they had sort of more normal pursuits, I guess, or more upstanding. You know, my brother's a diplomat. My sister's a, a, a publicist and a lobbyist. And, you know, they, they, they're more, uh, I guess, what you would call socially respectable successes. And then I was always the, you know, satanic weirdo who wanted to, you know, go into the haunted attraction industry and make horror movies and be a performer. And, and for better or worse, that is the career I've carved out for myself. And the one thing as an adult who was getting a lot older that I had not done that I really wanted to do was to have my own haunted attraction someday. And I actually didn't think it was going to happen after many attempts to do it in San Francisco. You know, it was just something I almost gave up on. And then lo and behold, the sort of the last pitch I made with my business partner, David Flower, to have a space at the historic San Francisco Mint Building to do this is actually when we got to go, which is a great reminder of who our guest is today. And and the reason I say that is because I was 45 years old, 44 years old or something when I was giving up on my haunted house dreams or haunted attraction dreams, but got this opportunity and now am really getting to enjoy it. One of the things Cassandra talks about in her book, Yours Cruelly, which is her brand new brilliant autobiography, is that she was told very explicitly by an agent in LA that she was washed up essentially and that no one was going to hire an actor uh, a, an actress, a, a female, a woman who was over the age of 30 and she was turning 30 and she had not yet landed the Elvira gig. And I think that that's so important to remember. Right. It is it's vastly important to remember because you can reinvent yourself at any time and at any age, or you can continue to improve upon and build upon what you've already done. And what I love about our interview with Cassandra and what you're saying also with having the revelation at 45 about making The Haunted House is that if you keep that open mind, you can only keep getting better. You know, one of the things I love about what we talked to her about, and you'll hear it in the interview, is she thought as each decade passed, all right, I'm not going to be Elvira after 40. I'm not going to be Elvira after 50. And now at 70, she's not only still Elvira, but she's kicking more ass than ever. And, you know, that's why she's still Halloween. You know, she was Halloween when we were kids and she's stronger Halloween than ever. And we didn't get nearly as much time with her as we would have liked. And she says that at the end. But um, one thing that's nice about it is you and I can kind of take this opportunity to sort of talk about her, you yes. know, and maybe and maybe a way that maybe wouldn't be as comfortable, you know, to her face. Uh, because, you know, I've had that unique experience of growing up this huge fan of Elvira's. Her influence on me is is pretty clear and pretty obvious. Probably my interest in, in hosting movies comes directly from Elvira. And my interest in creating a, a series like Midnight Mass is completely connected to Elvira because she was the woman I saw hosting cult movies, hosting B-movies, you know, the kind of things I wanted to do. Early Midnight Mass especially was hugely inspired by Elvira and that persona. Um, she also really inspired my drag in many ways, um, as we discuss. You know, the idea that someone could create a, an alternate character that, that existed in multiple mediums was 
fascinating to me. That's why I went into improv training when I was in high school and, and, and was part of an improv troupe for teenagers. So, you know, her effect on me was huge. The fact that later in life I got to meet her and invite her to come to Midnight Mass, and she did. I just want to say, because I wouldn't say this to her, it is huge for me, for a celebrity of her caliber, to agree to come to this rinky-dink midnight movie show in San Francisco hosted by a drag character happens at midnight. She not only came, she was paid way less than she ever should have been or, you know, would normally be. So she came because she's generous and she believes in her fans and she believes in those people. She came and did the first year as Cassandra. We totally hit it off. We, I fell in love with her uh, as a person, you know, beyond the Elvira persona. But then she also engaged with me and she saw what I had created up there and she immediately almost followed up with me when she went back to LA. When are you going to be in Los Angeles next? Let me know. Let me take you to lunch. That was how our friendship started. And, you know, I don't talk about it that often, but that was because of her. I was in no position to force my way into her life as much as I would have liked to, you know? Right. I had to allow her to invite me in. And not only did she invite me in, I mean, we're talking like invited me to her home. You know, I met her child. I met Terry, her partner. I, you know, was invited into her whole world. And she was so generous and such a wonderful creative collaborator that our friendship really, you know, kind of happened quickly. And the very next year at Midnight Mass, not only did she come back as Elvira, something I could never have afforded. She sang a song with a live band and the Midnight Mass, you know, players who danced around her. She came to rehearsals with us. And then the, the rest is history. You know, we ended up doing a TV pilot together. We've done multiple projects. Like, uh, obviously, she was in my feature film All About Evil, which, you know, we talk about during our interview. But the reason I tell all this and ramble on and on is because I want the audience to understand this woman, this person, person. It's one of the most generous, kindest, sweetest. You hear this, but this this is true. It has been one of the just biggest gifts of my life has been my friendship with Cassandra. And so I just kind of wanted to share that because I don't get to say that to very many people. It now seems like the right opportunity to sort of say, oh no, she's the real deal. And when you read this fucking book, everybody, you will be mesmerized by her story. You don't have any idea until you read this book. Well, and I think that that is a really, really great story. And I'm glad that you shared it because it's in line with everything we talk about, how these movies, how these people change our lives. And this is the next step beyond that. You became close. You you went from the person you saw on the screen to a friend. And that's sort of the dream of every cult member of every cult in a way. You know, that's what we talk about with all of our obsessed fans and, and guests across the show. But the impact that she has had on your life is, is so significant that, yes, I think this was exactly the episode to talk about it. And I think now is a great time to talk to her, wouldn't you say? I would say so. And um, uh, Michael and I will be back to talk uh, more things Halloween after we speak with our special guest. But uh, until then, here she is, the one and only, the hostess with the mostest. It's, well, Elvira, but it's really Cassandra Peterson. You gals too, cause I got something to 
Everybody, it is my extreme pleasure and extreme honor to introduce this week's solo special guest for our special Halloween episode. We got the most spectacular guest we ever could have hoped for. It's the legendary queen of Halloween herself, Cassandra Peterson. Yay! Yay! Thank you. Hi. Our listeners all know, of course, you're best known as Elvira. And what they probably already know, unless they've been living under a rock, is that you are celebrating the tremendous and huge success of your uh, autobiography. Congratulations. Oh, you can see it there. There's about a thousand copies behind <laughs> me, but I am, and I'm very, I'm, oh, it's like uh, going better than I could have ever dreamed. It's been on the New York yeah. Times bestseller list for crying out loud. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. For Peaches Christ's sake. <laughs> well, Cassandra, we have to ask, you know, your your autobiography, as as you've said, it really hit the ground running. It's being very celebrated. It's a bestseller. And you tell a lot of really great stories of your life and your time in show business. What was the impetus to write this book now? Did you always want to do a book? Had you thought about it before? What was what was the moment that led to this? Yeah, I, I have been thinking about doing this for really 15 to 20 years and making little notes here and there, you know, and putting, um, I writing little essays because I go to writing classes and stuff. Um, I have for a million years because I actually wrote my movies. So I decided I could write it on my own. And um, then suddenly, you know, I'm turning 70 and I go, if you don't write it now, where do you go to write it? Right. And so right. <laughs> I ran into a friend of mine, Pamela DeBar, who uh, we've been friends forever. And um, she wrote, I'm with the band, you know, uh, years ago. And, and uh, she introduced me to an agent. And she said, if you're ever going to write it, honey, you better sit down, get an agent and get a deadline or it will not ever happen. And that, that's how things get done. They pay you money, you get a deadline and then you do it, you know. So without that, I don't think this would have ever happened. But then the pandemic came along and, and um, actually it was so great for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, was, Never mind all those dead people. Uh, no, forget those people. It was really good. No, I mean, no, it was horrible. It gave me the time I needed to not be running around the country and the world and and running from project to project, and I could actually go sit down and do the writing and do the work, which is a lot of work, I gotta tell you. Oh Damn, my God. I think I'll be writing another book anytime soon. <laughs> uh, anyway, it gave me the time to finally you know, concentrate on it and get it out there. It is uh, quite the achievement, and when reading it, I'm, I'm, you know, as a fan of yours and also a friend of yours, I have to say that it was perfect timing and it's such a beautiful contribution to this massive, you know, body of work that you've put out, you know, both as Elvira and also Cassandra. And I feel like what's really, really lovely about it, and I've told you this, but I love to reiterate it is you are such a great writer and the book is so uniquely 
your own because of the voice it's it's told in and the way that you talk about some really I think I think what's surprising maybe for some folks is how serious you get in terms of the heaviness of the more challenging parts of your life. And for those of you who haven't read it, you know, Cassandra has lived quite a life. I just love the tone that you've struck while while um, delving into some pretty tough subject matter. You're still able to kind of, you know, keep a sense of humor, you know, with it. And, and it's so uniquely yours and it's so well done. And you really are truly a brilliant writer. God, thank you. Oh, I wish you were a reviewer for the New York Times. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I, I'll tell you, I'm a voracious reader of autobiographies, uh, especially rock and roll autobiographies. I don't know why, but I love them. And every time I read them, I go, when the person talks uh, in their own voice and they actually write it, the writing may not be fantastic, but you hear the person's voice come through, you know, and you really get a sense of who they are and it feels authentic. And so even though even the book publishers and everybody else said to me, oh, don't you want to have a ghostwriter or help with writing it? I was just adamant that I wanted to write it on my own because I feel like even if it's not well written, you get yourself across to people more. It feels like you're sitting down with them and telling them stories about your life, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm really glad I did, even though oh, that was a lot of work, brother. I don't know if I ever want to do that again. And But it was pretty cathartic too because I talked about some uh, times in my life that were really really difficult and um, and I almost feel like I was able to work through that you know what I mean I bet you very much look forward to November don't you (laughs) (laughs) I really do I hate to say it I love Halloween as you know of course but man the work I I kind of crammed like one year's work into uh, one month you know and uh, I'm sure you kind of get that, Peaches, right? I do, I do, and I'm feeling it right now as we go into Halloween week. So for for those of you listening, this is one of the fastest turnaround episodes we've ever had, where we're, we're interviewing Cassandra, and then this episode will be out in just a few days. And so it is now officially Halloween week, and I'm ready to collapse. I wouldn't change it. I love it. I mean, and I still love, you know, all things spooky and Halloween. So, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. I feel exactly the same way. We can meet up at the same sanitarium on November 3rd. <laughs> yes. So, Cassandra, you know, bringing it back to what you were saying about the cathartic aspects of writing the book, you presented a lot of information to the world about you and the curation of Elvira and your life that was previously just kept to yourself. Were there moments where you were like, oh, no, am I doing the right thing? Was was there a fear leaping into that? Or did you know this is it? This is the moment? Yeah, I, you know, I, I thought about it for so many years that I thought when I write this book, I'm just going to spill the beans, you know, screw everybody. What do I have to lose? I'm 70 years old. What am I going to, you know? hold back. And, and then I heard this quote also by Danny Trejo, you know, yeah. Danny Trejo, of course, who is awesome. And I love him. And he had a quote that said, um, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I thought, you know, that's true. You hide these things and hide these things. Don't tell anybody. And, and then you hold it in so long that you get gas, you know? Yeah. So you, you have to, yeah. You know, I just thought, what do I have to lose? Um, if people don't like it, I'll move uh, to Italy and 
you know, change my name. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously the, the biggest uh, bombshell as far as the world goes was the revelation that you've been in a relationship with Terry, your wonderful partner, uh, who who I love and, and have known. And, and I was talking to Christian. I don't know if I told you this already, but Christian and I were like surprised by the reaction of the world because, you know, we're yeah. so, yeah, we're so used to it. Like, like it stopped being, because if you, if you were friends with Cassandra or in her um, personal life, you know, like there was no hiding this. There was no, there, it wasn't a secret. Cassandra and Terry have been, you know, two women in a relationship for years and years. But of course, a reminder and I know that you knew it was going to be a bombshell. What I love about the book is, yes, that is part of it. But as queer people celebrate this, which they clearly are, there's this reminder mm -hmm. that, like, in my mind, you as Elvira, as Cassandra, whether you were married to a man or a mother or, or any of these things that are, I guess, quote unquote, heterosexual, um, you know, you've always been queer, and it's in the book. You've been queer since the beginning. Your 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 creative collaborators are are queer people. You know, you were you were dancing with queer queer men living in Provincetown of all places. You know, so you know, I love that. I think more than anything, people go, "Are you straight? Are you gay?" I say, "No, I, oh, I think I'm a gay man. I really do. <laughs> I really think about it a lot. Yeah, but I mean, and I feel I am definitely a drag queen. Yeah, I mean, what what's different? Me a drag queen, except for I don't tuck, right? Yeah. That's the only thing. Right. That's something I wanted to ask you about because you, Peaches, Sharon Needle, and I uh, did a panel at DragCon a number of years ago where we talked about how you have always thought of Elvira as a drag character. And that's something that you have considered from the beginning about her. And, you know, it's interesting because for a long time in the public perception of what drag is, it was the idea of gender illusion or whatever. But Peaches yeah. and I on the show talk about drag in all of the forms. A few weeks ago, we talked about how Joey Ramone in his way was sort of drag. And yeah. I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Elvira as drag and what drag means to you. It is 100% drag. I've talked to so many other drag queens, as you know, I know them all. And I've talked this over with RuPaul many times too. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think drag means a man getting into women's clothing. I think that's maybe a transvestite or something. What is that? I don't know what that is. Yeah. But, um, but I think it can be women. I mean, now, there, now there's drag kings. I don't even think they have to call themselves drag kings. I think it should all just be drag queens. Um, but it's somebody getting into a persona that is completely different, um, looking glamorous. You know, it's not like being Bozo the Clown. <laughs> but I think it's just a person getting into a completely different glamorous persona, acting like that and performing, you know. Um, I don't think it matters if you're a woman or man or... What you are. Yeah. I don't know. Do I make any sense of that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like uh, when I talk about, you know, my um, attraction to drag, often as is probably obvious, I haven't really done anything sort of the traditional route as far as drag goes. Most queens perform in nightclubs and, you know, uh, you know, gay bars and stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's wonderful. But I was always attracted yeah. to sort of the alternate persona. And part of that was being a fan of yours as a child. Also, Pee Wee Herman's. And, and there was, was this sort of 
uh, thing that the two of you were doing that I think is so unique, which was to take these costumes and create these characters that then could exist on late night talk shows in like a real life setting. They could exist in a children's TV show. They could exist in feature films that it could, could exist on movie macabre. And they were these characters that could almost appear anywhere in any medium, including real life, like an appearance and still be fully realized characters. And what I think is really fascinating is later in life finding out, wait, Paul and Cassandra were friends? Like, they knew each other before there was Elvira and Pee Wee. And, of course, the book talks a lot about your origin story. And and I kind of wonder, I, I think I know the answer, but I'm just going to ask, like, how much do you think those early friendships and collaborators informed the, the future success of so many of you, because so many of you have gone on to be so successful. Yeah, you mean the people in particular in the Groundlings or just in general? I think mostly the Groundlings. I think that's the thing. I mean, of course, I love the, the story of uh, uh, Joey Arias, you know, pretty much sending you to L.A., you know, and, and telling you to join the Groundlings. And then you getting to L.A. and uh, Joey getting a call from you saying, oh, I'm really good friends with the new Joey Arias. His name is Paul Rubens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's just it's such a small world, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, um, it was the Groundlings was, I mean, a, I, without the Groundlings, I would never be Elvira. Mm. I mean, the Groundlings, as you've seen, so many characters come out of the Groundlings, you know, I mean, look at Phil Hartman, and he had a whole, you know, gigantic whatever characters you know and paul has that too i was not the best character person there strangely well my characters were always kind of the same character over and over a sexy actress hooker stripper <laughs> no girl you know i got kind of pigeonholed in that i don't know why but um <laughs> so i wasn't the greatest at developing characters but um Obviously, something sunk in from watching Phil and Paul, who were my idols, and John Paragon, who sadly passed away recently, but he had some of the best characters of anybody in the world. John was freaking brilliant. And I think being with those guys and seeing what they were doing and watching them so closely and thinking about it, you know, it has to rub off on you, right? And it, and it must have because I end up getting this job and I'm playing a character, you know? Um, I mean, there's so many other people like that. I mean, you could, well, there's not so many, actually. Paul always says to me, you and I are the only two members of a very exclusive club. And I go, yeah, we kind of are. <laughs> you could put Gene Simmons from Kiss in there, Rob Zombie, uh, Alice Cooper. Yeah. Because they have other personas, you know, and I hate to break it to everybody, but they're really kind of very normal people, you know, out of drag. <laughs> We talk about how it all begins in a way at the Groundlings because that's where you start developing the character that would become Elvira. But of course, reading your book, knowing your history, you were doing so much even before you get there. You are modeling, you're doing Vegas shows, you went to Italy, you worked with Fellini, which I'm deeply fascinated by. And so I, I want to ask, outside of that world in, in Elvira, you've done so much. Fantasy Island, Fellini, Alan Quatermain. What's a role that isn't Elvira that you think back fondly on that you wish more people had seen or you love personally? No, all my roles were really stupid. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, the only role I did outside of Elvira that that maybe I'm proud of is maybe Peach's movie. <laughs> <All about> it. 
I know. I actually thought it was so cool to play a normal mom. I wasn't like playing a sex symbol. I was just being in a normal and I got a chance to talk like a normal person. And I don't know, that was an interesting role for me because I had never done anything like that. You know, my other favorite thing was being a stripper on happy days because I mean, <laughs> on happy days, right? But, but no, I loved playing that part in Peach's movie. I was scared to death too. Oh, I, I was so afraid. Really? Oh, just because I, I have to be myself. What? I have to say my memory of that, and just for the listeners, and I know we've talked about it, I don't even know if Cassandra knows, although I'll be telling you soon, there is uh, a big re-release in the works for All About Evil, including a Blu-ray. The people in, Fantastic. yeah, the people involved are going to be reaching out to you because <laughs> they're, they're, making, they're making a new documentary. Yeah. Happy to be a part of that. I remember asking you to do it, and so, of course, I was so nervous, and I knew mm-hmm. as your friend that you could play this part because people know you as Elvira, but I knew you as Cassandra, right? And so I knew you could do it, but it it was so great to see you not only sh- shine, but like walk through your fears. And when I watch it now, you are so good in the movie. Like you're so good and you really do ground, you and Thomas, you play mother and son, exist in this insane, campy, over-the-top movie, and you two have to ground it, right? Like, especially for the third act, for the finale to work. And you really, really do. And normally, you'd be playing the other characters, the over-the-top, you know, comedic, insane characters. But you you actually had to play it real, and you you did a great job. Yeah, well, it's hard being normal for us, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. It was a crazy movie with crazy characters and crazy everything, but it was good. I would have seen, never been cast by anyone else, not by anyone in the world, except a friend who knew me right. and knew that I'm not totally that insane. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so if it hadn't been for you casting it, Nobody's going to reach out to me and say, hey, could you play this normal mom in a movie? No, that is never going to happen, you know? <laughs> but there you go. So you had a good insight. It's a really fun thing to do. Fun and frightening. Well, you just did your 40th anniversary special for Shudder, which is, first off, congratulations, amazing. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like one of those tried and true questions to ask, but when you're all the way back in the groundlings and you're creating this larger-than-life character that you take to television for decades, did you ever, ever, ever suspect that you would still be her all these years later? Hell no. I mean, when I got this part as Elvira, I didn't think I would be playing Elvira four weeks later. I mean, literally, because it seemed so cheesy. The movies were really, really bad, low-budget movies. I was playing this character that was like, okay, I'm supposed to be a funny comedian, but I'm also supposed to look scary and it was like nothing went together right you know so I did not think that this was thing was going to go on I thought every week that I got my little paycheck I was like oh this is so great it lasted another week and then but it very quickly became you know like a big deal so yeah here I am 40 years later still doing it I don't know how much longer I can do it every year every decade I go I'm not going to do this after I'm 40 yeah 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 and I go not going to do this after I'm 50. 
Yeah, I'm 70, and I'm like, I don't know. I can vouch for that because we we met. It, I, I mean, it's going on. I don't know, 17 years ago, something like that. And I remember when we first met, you telling me about your plans to retire shortly. And I feel like I've known you almost two decades now. And it's like, oh no, you know. And and, and I actually think there's okay. Let's face it, Cassandra is one of the one of the unique people who could make as much money not performing as she does performing and i and i say that as someone who's watched you license the hell out of this character and take advantage of owning the character and and working with you know your manager scott and doing such a brilliant job of of keeping the elvira character out there so it must be that people like us because you and I talk so much about how uncomfortable it is, because it's uncomfortable for both of us to be in drag. But there must be something, I mean, almost spiritual connected to performing. And I think part of that, and it was something I was going to kind of lead into, is this is a show about cult uh, phenomena. And you have built a cult of fans, and I've gotten to see those fans interact with you. And I just know how much love you receive as this character, oh, yeah. just sheer love from people and admiration and gratitude. You get all this gratitude from people. And what's it been like to just have this intergenerational legion of fans? I mean, just an army of fans around the world. Yeah, my, my fans are the freaking loyalist fans in the world. I don't yeah. think they care if I was 180. They really, yeah. they love me no matter what I do or what I say. They're so amazing. And and it's so funny that, you know, for a while there, I thought, I mean, this is back like 20 oh, something years ago. I was afraid my fans were all going to die off. You know, they started coming. They were in line and they had walkers and everything. You know, and I was like, I'm all my fans are going to be dead. And that's going to be it. Then, I don't know. I think it was with the advent of the computer and uh-huh. being online that suddenly my fans began to get younger and younger and younger. It's really weird. And now I have teenagers and 20 somethings coming up to me and they're and they're just like like my first fans were you know they're just they love the character i can't believe how many times they they tell me how many people come up to me and say you changed my life you made me feel like i belong you you know i felt like a misfit i was a loser and and i watched your movie and i and i thought to myself you know, I can be that way too. I can I just not give a crap about that and just keep going forward. And I mean, I hear some, I hear some amazing stories. I, I got a letter yesterday from a guy who said his mother has Alzheimer's and he and his partner are taking care of her and that she just sits there very, very sad and gloomy, doesn't talk, completely unresponsive. He said, I decided to put on Elvira Mistress of the Dark. And he said, she laughed the whole way through and he said, when the movie got done, she looked at me. It also almost makes me teary-eyed because she hadn't spoken to him in months. And she looked at him and said, that's funny. I mean, I just got that letter yesterday. Yeah, that's amazing. He was saying, I can't thank you enough. I, it was the best thing that ever happened. I want to play that movie for my mom now every day, 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. that. That's just one example. There are so many, but... I'm really lucky to have the fan base I do. They're so great. And as you know, many of them are gay. I mean, I have a huge, <laughs> huge gay fan base. 
It's so interesting, too, because we talk about four decades of you doing this. You're 70, you put out the book, and it seems like Elvira is more in demand than ever. You've got these Netflix and chill. You do a Shudder special. Last Halloween, you were in a Scooby-Doo movie, which I loved. And I, uh, I, I'm i just wondering, it seems like every year you literally up the ante for yourself. Do you feel like every Halloween is more and more? And what's next? I tell you, I keep thinking I'm going to slow down, but it doesn't look like it. I already have things in the works as we speak. I thought, oh, good, the book's done. I'm going to take a long vacation. Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm already working on the documentary of the book. Amazing. Um, I'm having meetings with a possible biopic. And one of the things I really, really want to do, and I haven't started work on this yet, but is um, I would love more than anything to have a Broadway play of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yes. Like Hairspray, wow. or Legally Blonde, and have it be a musical. Would that be super fun or what? I mean, I wouldn't be. That would be I would, great. I would hire somebody like, you know, Dolly Parton to play me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. And um, well, I know that you have. Uh, you are so busy right now. I cannot believe you made time for us during like literally the big, busiest week of the year with your autobiography. You know, skyrocketing. You. Ha- I know you've squeezed us in between interviews. Um, so I cannot thank you enough. We Agenda. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Yes, there's no place I'd rather be. I'm glad, glad to be with here with you. And I wish I, I wish this could last like two hours because it's so fun talking to you guys. And I'm sorry I have to. We understand. I'll, you know, you know, I'll ask you to come back on later. So, okay. all right, I love you. Love you too. All right, Mwah. bye. Take bye. care. Bye bye. That was our interview with the legendary Cassandra Peterson. And I mean, always, she's just completely delightful. What a living legend who impacted so many people and continues to impact people. You know, she was very humble about the impact of the news that came out with the book of her her air quotes coming out. But it added a whole new dimension to generations of fans who already embraced her that I think is only going to continue to be meaningful, you know, for her legacy. And I I just love that we got to talk to her a little bit about that, as well as, you know, the fun beats of being Elvira. I've never actually talked to her about it that I can remember, other than, you know, maybe maybe generally, is having, you know, been on the road with her and, and gone to, um, like, literally the Midwest and things, you know, as well as the bigger cities, the more urban cities, I can tell you for sure that this is a person who has a very unique fan base in terms of the wide net that it casts. Um, and what I mean by that is she does have you know, a ton of queer fans, obviously. Queer, queer, queer. Weirdos, alternative, funky, drag queens, like, you know, the goth kids, all the weirdos. She also has 
fans who would go to like a monster truck rally, okay, or like right. a, a NASCAR event. And and I say that as someone, especially in these divided times, as something that's really interesting and actually very impressive. This is someone who has never hidden their support for their queer, you know, or, or, or never really been in the closet about being, you know, a part of the queer community. She may have been in the closet, so to speak, about being in a relationship with Terry or a woman, but this is someone who's always performed alongside drag queens, always shared the spotlight with gay men, always been at the forefront of advocating for AIDS, you know, awareness and in animal rights and, you know, progressive ideals, while also appealing to, you know, um, a demographic who is more, I, I don't know, conservative. And, you know, I, I think that's really fascinating about her character. Well, it's true. And what I really love about the discussion that occurred around the the coming out, as it were, was Cassandra herself in many interviews said that it must come to a shock to some people because Elvira the character is so man crazy. <laughs> but what I think is interesting about that is Elvira as a character also is so outre and other that I kind of just view Elvira as sexual more so than man crazy. And I know I briefly mentioned it in the interview and I'm going to bring it back to it right now. But it's never more apparent, even though this is an a animated form. Anybody who saw the feature film Happy Halloween Scooby-Doo, the sexual chemistry between Daphne and Elvira was real. That was, I was just like, I want that pairing, please. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually, I've actually heard that that's really good. I should probably check it out. I haven't seen it yet. It's a lot of fun. It came out in the middle of the pandemic last Halloween. And I was like, well, it's a feature film with Elvira. So, of course... I need to add it to my shelf. But I also legitimately enjoy some of these Scooby-Doo movies that they're just making to release to VOD and DVD because they're weird. Like, I think they yeah. know at this point the fan base are adults, really. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they make these strange movies, and it's it's this one set in Halloween night, and the Scooby gang shows up, Elvira's hosting a thing, and then the Scarecrow, the Batman villain, shows up and causes shenanigans, and Bill Nye and Elvira have to join the gang to solve this mystery. It's like, if you pitch that, if you and I went into Warner Brothers tomorrow and pitched that, we would be laughed out of the room, but it's actually fucking amazing. Like, you know. It actually sounds really amazing. And I mean, why why don't we have the Elvira cartoon yet? I mean, you know, why, why isn't there the Elvira animated? I mean, it's like, come on, that it just seems so obvious. She's had incredible comic books for years and years and years. I mean, doing like an, maybe an, an animated anthology, you know, a la, you know, Creepshow or something where, you know, Elvira, I don't know, whatever. She, I'm sure it's probably in the works, you know, as she said, yeah. she's she's busier than she's ever been before. So, you know, now we know. Now, now I did want to say something because this is such a, bizarre episode as far as, you know, um, an idol worship episode goes. Elvira's career and Elvira in general is so big that this one episode can't attempt to scratch the surface at all Never. the things that we could talk about. So Michael and I are intentionally kind of just relaxing and, and talking about Halloween, but we want all you nerds out there to, to hear us. We, we have not uh, abandoned the 
episode that will inevitably be about the movie Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. That deserves its own episode. So we're we're gonna get there. I love that movie. Of course, its iconic <laughs> legacy lives on in, in things like RuPaul's Drag Race. Just so you know, all you idiot drag queen fans out there, How's Your Head actually comes from the movie Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And if you didn't know that, you should uh, go check it out and see it because it's amazing. But this episode for Michael and I is is, is a more a, of a loosey-goosey Halloween episode where we wanted to share our, our conversation with Elvira and really celebrate her book. Absolutely. I mean, in, in a way, it's the Midnight Mass office Halloween party because yeah. we are so frequently driven by the subject. And this week, of course, we're celebrating Elvira. But Peaches and I, you know, Halloween is 90% of our jobs in our year. We are monster kids ourselves who make monster content. Peaches is running the preeminent haunted house in the nation as far as I'm concerned. I just had the new season of Dragula come out on Shudder. We're busy, busy, busy. So we want to sit down with a hot cup of cauldron water and just have a little (laughs) chat this week. (laughs) That's right. So, okay. Now, now getting back to sort of um, Halloween uh, memories. We talked about me doing haunted attractions as a kid, which obviously was around Halloween. Um, I'm wondering for you as a kid, was Halloween always a big deal? Like, was it like, you know, in my in my family, I was lucky. My, my parents were into Halloween and like they embraced my love of it. And so, uh, you know, it was a big, big deal for us. So was Halloween a big deal for you as a kid? Yes, in a different way. Uh, I, I don't know if you and I have talked, well, you know this, I moved a lot growing up and uh, I just don't know if I've ever discussed it on, on the show. And when I was elementary school age, we were living in Colorado and this was in the 80s when people still were allowed to trick-or-treat at night because that changed. But those are the years that I distinctly remember getting really into it because it was like a big deal. We would have costume parties at school and I would start getting really excited about like the costume that I was going to wear. This old lady that was the grandmother of one of my friends would take us around trick-or-treating and I remember the adults would watch horror movies and there was just something really special about it to me that I always wanted to hold on to it. And I think that as I was also discovering horror movies and getting over my little kid's uh, scaredy cat fear of them and embracing all of that, I knew this was the time of year I could really delve into it. I did do a haunted house in high school, but never quite to the extent that you did. And I was a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Back to sucking. I love kind of bonding with other people on like what Halloween means to them. And I actually, you know, I actually do like Christmas. I'm not not one of those people who is, uh, you know, only into Halloween. I enjoy Christmas as well, but for different reasons. Um, but Halloween was always always my favorite and clearly dressing up you know i think halloween for any budding drag queen is you know um sort of a a a really important (laughs) you know we we aspire to um wear costume obviously from a young age for a reason that's deeper than wanting to grow up and lip sync you know that that that, that's like the least of it and i think um you know if you're a drag performer you kind of have that that connective tissue of like, oh, wow, Halloween was, it was the one time, one day a year that it was okay to wear an outrageous costume. I mean, and the power of that is really big. Well, it is. I mean, who from a punk, goth, drag, 
queer background hasn't heard from a normie at some other point in the year, hey, it's not Halloween. They use that yeah. against us. So that we when it's finally Halloween and we can flip the script, of course it's empowering. And I also hate to tell them, it's always Halloween, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> it's that ministry song, Every Day is Halloween, uh, which, of course, I was obsessed with. Um, but I, I bring this up because I think it speaks to the the larger phenomenon of Elvira's popularity because there were a few things that brought Halloween to us year-round. Yes. And I think the biggest uh, of them all was this character because Elvira was you know, she was, yes, Halloween was her busiest time of year, but Elvira existed all through the year. You know, she had projects, uh, her TV show, Movie Macabre, was on all year round. And, you know, that is really important. And so people like Elvira or Vincent Price, especially Elvira, were huge at the time. And also, I would love for someone, and I'm sure it's already been done, to sort of track the sort of popularity of Halloween as a holiday because it became, from what I understand, much bigger in the 80s, the late 70s and the 80s, as far as what it was comparatively in the 40s, 50s, 60s, it really became a much more important holiday, a bigger holiday. Now, much of that's probably due to big business, obviously. But, um, you know, you look at something like the success of Michael Jackson's Thriller, and I was a kid, and that was like, that was Halloween in a music video. I mean, that was perfection. Well, it makes sense, too, because the 80s are often considered the decade of excess, right? And it's it's people kind of claiming their personal stake in the world. You know, you can live for yourself a little bit. That's allowed. And so things are a little bigger. Things are a little more bombastic. Growing up during that time, Elvira was omnipresent. You knew it was Halloween because suddenly the the cutouts would pop up at the grocery store. (laughs) And those eyes would be on a Pepsi bottle. You know, one thing we didn't really get to talk to her about was the lengths of which her image has appeared on products and branding. She may be the queen of Halloween, and she is, but she's also the queen of branding. I can't think of anyone else who has managed to take their character and integrate it into so many products that it's become woven into the fabric of our society. That's why Elvira is so big at Halloween. Of course we love the specials. Of course we love the movies. But she was also hosting music videos, and she was on pinball machines, and she had beer, and she had, you know, Pepsi cutouts, and she had snacks and wigs, and it was amazing. No one else did that. She is Halloween in both character and in product. And in product, right? Like, she was that modern and continues to be, like, a um, year-round icon of this holiday that so many of us love. Well, when you bring up the pinball machine, it's like, not only was she on a pinball machine, she was on the best pinball machine. Like, she, her merchandising and her licensing was extraordinary. No, not all of the products might have been as top-notch as the pinball machine, but, you know, <laughs> I remember she, at one point she told me she was doing Elvira coffee, and I was like, okay, uh, that's interesting. Like, I guess you could really just put your name on it. And before I could finish, she was like, it's double delicious. <laughs> and I was like, oh, she already knows what, what she's going to say about it. <laughs> that's amazing. I have to say I'm deeply obsessed with celebrity endorsed coffee. I have a bag of David Lynch coffee in my kitchen. Oh, really? I didn't know that you had coffee. He sure does. Actually, that doesn't surprise me. It's smoky and mysterious, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Here's some things that that are kind of brought up in the book that are interesting. Elvira was the first ever woman 
in the history of uh, beer to be hired as a spokesperson for for beer, any beer, you know. Oh wow! Uh, I believe it was Coors, you know. So those those cutouts, you know, that that were so iconic, and we saw them in every grocery store, every Seven Eleven. And as a kid, I always wanted to steal one, right? And you know, uh, I never got my Elvira cutout, but like she was the first woman ever. Before then, it was all men, all men selling beer, only men, because beer was seen as manly. So she did that. She also was the first person to successfully become the number one sold Halloween costume that was a licensed costume, right? So, of course, you know, probably the number one selling Halloween costume for years was Dracula or a witch or whatever. But Elvira, the Elvira costume ended up becoming the biggest selling Halloween costume, you know, licensed by a single person. Those are extraordinary things, right? It's amazing. Like, yeah. Huge, really big deal, you know, when you consider she started um, her career as this, you know, horror movie hostess and, you know, went in and, and, and got the gig after she was told that she was washed up and, and no one would hire her. So she's like that great American success story. Um that, you know, is on the level, I think, on the level of like a Walt Disney or an Oprah Winfrey, where you look at those sort of things and, and go, wow, that is that is really amazing and really, truly extraordinary. And I'll tell you, as someone who, who uh, knows her, um, this is a woman who is fucking smart and works her ass off. You know, she works so hard. It's a pleasure to see her have this level of success. I was just so thrilled that she was able to join us for this, our Halloween special, because frankly, I don't want to celebrate Halloween without anyone else. <laughs> we will have to have her back on. You know, you heard her say, she agreed that she would come back on. So so we will have to have her back on. What I would love to do is actually do a proper Elvira Mistress of the Dark, you know, episode and sort of just have it be with Cassandra and an obsessed fan, you know, right. and do a proper Midnight Mass episode dedicated to that movie because that movie in particular is just so, well, it's so cult. It's so fantastic. I've gone on the road with her and screened it for anniversary celebrations, and it deserves its own um, singular episode. I could talk about Gonk alone for hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot to ask her. Did you know that she has a new dog? No. Oh, yeah. Cassandra has the cutest new dog. His name is Vinny, and um, he looks kind of like Gonk, except cuter. And she did Vinny's hair recently, um, his fur, to look like Gonk, which I thought was amazing. Um, so I'm kind of like, that seems sort of like, you know, exploiting your pet a little bit. Um, but, you know, why, why not? Yeah, look, Vinny deserves a costume for Halloween as well. <laughs> I don't think this is for Halloween. But, you know, that that being said, I mean, that, I, I did sort of wrongly say something to her recently because we're selling a lot of Elvira merchandise at Terra Vault. We have a thing called the Creep Shop, and um, we have a lot of Elvira merchandise in the Creep Shop. We also have John Waters merchandise, like licensed John Waters merchandise. But the Elvira merchandise, you know, I, I hadn't really, like, poured over, and then her book came out, and, of course, she was, like, trending on Twitter – and I'm looking in the gift shop and there's like rainbow um, shirts, like with Elvira's face done in rainbow ink. It's gay Elvira. And I said to her, wow, like you came out and then immediately had rainbow shirts. Like that's brilliant. Like way to go. And she's like, girl, no, those are shirts left over from pride. <laughs> 
Like, I, I actually didn't, like, put it past her to, like, know, okay, I'm coming out in this book. You know, people are going to find out I'm in a relationship with a woman. I know what the next step is. Have a shirt ready to go. But no, no, she she did not do that. So she is the queen of licensing, but, you know. Well, and clearly because she knows her audience well enough to know that they've wanted a Rainbow Elvira for years, Peaches, years. Yeah. Well, and and in my defense, while I would love to say that I'm up on all the Elvira merchandise, it is impossible. I don't even know if Cassandra's up on it all because there is just so much of it. Okay, here's a question for you, Michael. Would have been interesting to ask her this too, but I'll ask you, what is your favorite Elvira product that you've ever come across? to contact with not that you've had to own it or anything but you've seen or you've you know what what do you think is the best and and I'm personally taking the pinball machine out of the equation for myself because you know that, well, I already mentioned that the pinball machine's pretty great I have to say I do love she has an enamel pin that has the little titty tassels like the end of the movie that spin and I love that but um oh, that's good I I'm not a big fan of the beach and I actively avoid it like the spooky goth kid that I am. (laughs) But I was gifted the coolest beach towel ever. And it is a coffin shaped towel. It's cut like an old school coffin with Elvira laying in it. And even when I just go to the pool or something, I have to take it because then I feel I get to bring a little spookiness with me out into the sun. And so it's a, it's it's not maybe as extravagant as the pinball machine or like an Elvira cutout. But anytime I go on vacation, have Elvira will travel, you know. So that's my personal <laughs> okay. favorite. What I want you to do is to lay next to the pool in a chaise lounge in all your white pasty glory. But then in order to... <laughs> In order to protect that whiteness, I want you to take your coffin towel and just drape, like, lay it over your whole body so that you become Elvira. It's my plan. Yes, that is it. And I love that. Okay. I have to tell you that there's this one product that we actually have at the creep shop, but it always sells out. And I, I, I think it is the most amazing thing, which is a salt and pepper shaker set. And it's, a bust of Elvira, like, you know, from the tits up that sits on your your kitchen table. And then these globe, one salt, one's pepper, they are the tits. And so you remove the tits and one side has, you know, salt in it and one side has pepper. That to me is so great. A close second is the Elvira mouse pad, but I don't know if anyone uses a mouse pad anymore. But the way it was designed was these sort of silicone breasts that kind of popped out 3D from the mouse pad. So you rested your hand. It was actually very therapeutically designed. So you rested your wrist in the cleavage. Love that too. So those those are kind of my two favorites. I love that Elvira considered ergonomics and fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. I feel like we could just go on and on and talk about Cassandra and Halloween for days. Um, and we definitely have, have had a lot of fun just letting our minds go wherever they could go on this episode. And I have to say, Michael, uh, this is my favorite week of the year. I wish the listeners and yourself a really fantastic, fun uh, Halloween weekend. I hope some. I hope I'll see some of you at the Terror Vault this weekend. Um, but yeah, this has been just such a fun and special episode. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, Peaches, it was a joy to get to kick off Halloween weekend and week with you. Uh, up in San Francisco at Terra Vault. And I know that as we go forward, it will just be happy haunting 
throughout yes. the rest of the week. And I wish the same to all of our listeners. And of course, even though Peaches has one more thing to say to you, we can't end the Elvira episode on Halloween without saying unpleasant dreams dear listeners. <laughs> That's true. And if you are uh, excited for the weekend and getting ready to go trick-or-treating, putting your costume together, if you've been looking forward to this this uh, holiday for months and months and months, and if for you every day truly is Halloween, well, then that can only mean one thing. You're all children of the podcorn now. <laughs> 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 Midnight Mass is created and co-hosted by Peaches Christ and Michael Verratti. The series is produced by Joshua Grinnell, Michael Verratti, and Heather Dunham. The Midnight Mass score and theme music was composed by Andrew J. Sepperly. Midnight Mass is a Peaches Christ production.